us. Right now, we have the president of Powernomics Corporation of America. It's a corporation involved in major business development, mostly in inner cities across the country. The word Powernomics, uh, they work to make it represent a social, political, and economic package of principles, which is developed by Dr. Claude Anderson. He's also an author. His book, Black Labor, White Wealth, A Search for Power and Economic Justice, is a foundation for his principles, solutions, and activities, and part of the Powernomics National Plan. He is also... uh, a regular on this front page, and typically every year he appears at Black Riders on Tour. While he will not be there this year, his new DVD is debuting at Black Riders on Tour, and we thought it would be very appropriate to have him on prior to Saturday's Black Riders on Tour event at the Carson Community Center in the city of Carson. Dr. Claude Anderson, good morning. Dr. Anderson? Hello. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning, Miss Dominique. How are you doing? Great, great to hear from you. Let me introduce you to Eric Knoll, Coach E, my co-host today. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Good morning, sir. Looking forward to hearing you speak this morning. Okay, I hope I say something that will be of interest to you. <laughs> I don't know how you can help it. What is new with Powernomics? What is new? I know you have the new CD out, the DVD out. Um, what is new with your movement? Uh, with the Powernomics movement or with yes. the DVD? Which one? Well, let's go one and two and do both. Oh, which one to start with? Let's start with the movement. Okay, the movement. Right now, I guess most of our energy is being concentrated, Dominique, on just trying to pursue this, uh, get the government to enforce the 1866 Indian Treaty that we've been pursuing now for going on nearly a decade in the various courts and appeal courts and small claims court for the federal government and uh, the federal claims court and the Sixth Circuit Court in in Ohio. And that is following up on what I put in most of my books for the last 40 years. I guess most people don't quite understand is that <clears throat> that in this country that uh, that that Indians, for instance, participated in the enslavement process and uh, all the way from the 1500s all the way up until the 1866 after the Civil War, and they were still holding slaves and we refused to turn them loose. <clears throat> but since they had signed on with the uh, <clears throat> with the Southern Confederacy to fight to maintain slavery in the country. They lost all of their land holdings, and the United States government gave them amnesty and said, we'll come back in and give you all previous Indian trees are null and void now. We will give you some land, but instead of you owning and claiming all the land west of the Mississippi River, we'll give you small portions of land, which we would call reservations. That's the first thing. And secondly, we're going to, you're going to have to sign treaties with us. They were called the 1866 treaties. This was enforced on all the so-called civilized societies, civilized Indian tribes because they were all holding slaves. They said in those treaties, though, it's going to be, here's what you must do, and it's stipulated in those treaties very clearly. And this is the only time in history that this nation has ever solely, specifically identified black people. They didn't use the word, those broad, ambiguous terms such as minority, people of color, diversity, multicultural. It says blacks, black freedmen, black Indians, and black uh, free people. In living in those territories, entitled these following issues and things. And all of their descendants forever will also be entitled to them. One, they must be set free by all the Indians. Two, that, it, that they should have the right, if they wish to, to join any of the Indian tribes. Three, that they, once they're released, that we've been giving money to the Indians, the Indians must give each one of them $150. Four, that they must 
also be given 100 minimum 160 acres of land. Five, that they also must have an opportunity to share in any benefits that the United States government bestows on any of the enterprise. That means like like uh, clothing, food, uh, weapons, tools, housing, Medicare, anything. Six is that they must have rights to, to have ownership in any of the resources on those reservations, whether it's, whether it's timber, balsite, chrome, magnesium, gold, or silver, anything. Seven, that they must also be treated in a, in a tax-exempt manner, which means they would not have to pay taxes just like any white Indian or $5 Indian would not have to pay taxes. Eight, that they would also be able to go to any university, any school, uh, and their descendants would be able to attend those schools, tax-free uh, tuition forever. And nine, that in present-day terms, they would have a right to be able to, to get government contracts without bidding on it and to set, establish casinos just like Indians do any place they want to. Now, this is a basic, this is a basic treaty that was signed by all these Indian tribes to give grant all these things to blacks, but for the last 140 years, neither the government, the government sort of sort of moved away from it in the 1890s and never fulfilled their obligation, and, uh, and the Indians have not followed through on it. So consequently, the blacks have been denied all these things for 140 years, and so what we are asking now, and the Harvest Institute has been asking the government at all levels, is not to do something different, but to enforce the treaties not only for the white Indians that you've given them to, but also for the blacks who was also a part of that treaty, and the basis of those treaties was to get blacks free and give them these benefits. And uh, we ha we've been having having a difficult time because most of the courts will say, well, Dr. Edison, you're absolutely right. Even though most people don't understand what you're talking about, they don't understand the history of this, but you're absolutely right. All those entitlements were due to blacks and their descendants. But unfortunately, there's a time stipulation, time limitation, that if blacks are going to get these rights, they should have laid claim and made an issue out of it in the courts by 1907. And I said that, that was impossible because that, in 1907, this country was still lynching two black people a day. How can they go to court and, and enforce a law and when it's the government's responsibility? The government had a fiduciary responsibility. The tribes had a fiduciary responsibility to take care of these people who were coming out of slavery. But they failed to do it, and that's what we're fighting for right now. And even though our government continues to bestow all these benefits to Indians and have done it for the last 140 years, they still fail to do it for these black freemen and black, black Indians. Dr. Anderson, I got a, I got a quick question just sure. to cl clarify a couple of things. What is the Harvest Institute? Uh-huh. And what's um, a white Indian? I had never heard that term before, white what, Indian. Uh, what now? The white Indian. A white, a white Indian, because he, uh, back in, 19, in 1890s, in 1890s, when the government decided uh, in fulfillment of those treaties, what they what they they wanted to do was to set up they set up what's called the Dawes Commission, D A W N E S. The Dawes Commission were supposed to go out into all the Indian territory and all the tribes to record and write down the names and, and uh, some identification for all the black freedmen, or free people, or black Indians that reside in that territory up through the eight, up until that time. They were to take a record of it and give them account numbers, which it, and uh, and and by in mid. 1890s, whites found out that all those benefits were being coming to black folk as entitlements, and a lot of them went down what they call a $5 Indian. They went down and paid the commission $5 to put their names on the rolls. So, so they and their children there and their descendants can also get those benefits, even though they were not blacks. So consequently, in present-day terms, about 90% of all the so-called Indians in America, indigenous people, about 90% are whites and not the original blacks, I mean the original Indians. Wow. And, and what's the Harvest Institute? The Harvest Institute, that is a, that is a think tank, a black think tank, whose sole purpose is to politically empower the right uh, roadmaps, cookbooks, recipes, gotcha. plans for, for black Americans to be politically and economically empowered. 
And of course, you're the leader of that organization. Yes, unfortunately. What do you say, unfortunately, <laughs> Dr. Oh, it's a Anderson? Fine thing. It's, it's, it's difficult to try to fight for our, our people because, I don't know, it's, it's not politically correct. In, the, in our country now, black people are like a third rail, Dominique, and nobody's like up here in the, in the subway. Nobody wants to touch a third rail in the subway. And nobody wants to do it, deal with but be honest with you, nobody wants to try to help black folks. So I do it because I, was, I don't know whether because I'm silly and naive and continue to fight. And I've, I've devoted 40 years of my life to doing it. And the fire is sort of going out of my belly a little bit now. This is getting tiring doing it. Well, well, Dr. Anderson, I, I have a question just from the standpoint of, you know, being being in the community with a lot of these young people. Uh-huh. How how do I convey your message to the younger people who I have their ears right now? How do I, what can I have them work on? What is your formula for them to start bringing their mindset towards understanding what this movement is about and how they can then carry it on after us? What, what, what's your formula for the young people to start moving? Right. Well, ideally, ideally, you have to, typically, you, what you need to do is build a physical community. Since now it's getting a little impossible for blacks to do that, you have to start out by trying to develop a broad sense of a community where all these young black folks feel a sense of identity based on their commonality, their common interests, and their common dilemma. To say that you've got major problems in this country that are totally different from anyone else. And you've got to start coming together and learn how to, to join together, aggregate, and start pooling your resources your intellect, your money, and your political power to be able to help your group. They have to understand that whether they like it or not, that you must be able to be economically competitive in this society to be able to survive. And and contrary to what everybody tells you, I don't care whether it comes out of a black mouth or a white mouth, black folk are not progressing in America. Black folk in proportional and comparative terms are exactly where we were at the end of slavery, at the bottom of the pile, at the bottom of the well. And these black people, for these young black folk to be able to survive, they got to understand that they got to come together and pool their resources. Secondly, they have to understand what racism is. Racism has nothing to do with personal preference or whether or not you like or dislike somebody. Racism, as it originally started off in the 15th century, was a contest. Racism started as a contest between groups of people, all the European nations that were competing to try for wealth and power and resources. And once you get to get to dumb the control of it, then you use it to exploit, to enslave, or Jim Crow segregate, or benign and elect another group. That's what the original intent of racism was. Black kids have been taught that racism even because someone doesn't like you. That's not racism. Racism is an economic issue where you must learn to compete as a group. And unfortunately, Eric, most of our people in the country understand that as they come into the country. So they build communities. They, you go across America, you find little Havanas, uh, little Cubas. You find Mexican towns, Arab towns, Asian towns, South Korea, Japan towns, China towns, little Italy's. And, see, and they people pool their resources and they network and learn how to build these businesses so the young people know the importance of getting economic power so they can stay off the, off, off the welfare rolls. They can stay out of the criminal justice system. Them. They learn how to build and produce jobs rather than look for jobs. And uh, they're prepared to stay in the, and deliver services and goods, products, and a wealth base to their own people first and foremost. Okay, well, Dr. Anderson, now, you know, we have some callers. You ready to take some callers? Anything, whatever turns you on. All right, we got Herschel from L.A. Herschel, you're radio free on 102.3 KJLH. Good morning, uh, Dominique, front page family, Talib, and uh, Mr. TV Wonder, and of course, Dr. Claude Anderson. God bless you. Uh, well, thank Dr. you. Good morning, sir. It's good to hear your voice, sir. I just wanted to let you know that uh, I am your Elijah to your Elijah. So I'm waiting to uh, get a double portion and uh, wear your mantle. Uh, I just want you to know that I'm. 
I'm very uh, humbled and, and thankful for you uh, just speaking this morning. I just talked about you uh, this last week on the radio update of uh, younger generation, I'd say younger, meaning in their 50s, who are determined to uh, follow and hold up the blood-stained banner of what you just got. Okay, Herschel, what is your question exactly? My question exactly is, uh, what would be our marching orders based upon what you just said as far as the smaller groups? How, How would you suggest that we connect with the very small groups that don't know about each other across the country so that we... How about the internet? I mean, there's a lot of... There is a lot of community, actually, believe it or not, happening on Facebook. Um, but Dr. Anderson, Herschel has has an activist group. What would you suggest he do? Uh, first of all, Dominic, I think you just gave an excellent suggestion. But uh, I would find find some uh, some occasions where I could pull them all together and, and, and assemble them in groups and make each one of them a missionary to go out and try to recruit people and bring them into a session and, t- and start off by telling them what is the nature of our dilemma. And our real dilemma in this country, we have no wealth and power, and we are now an abandoned, obsolete labor class in America. And, uh, and, there's, and, there's, and there's, a, there's a cryptic uh, uh, point to that. See, way back in, I guess, in the, in the early 19, 1950s, for instance, there's a guy named Neil Goldstein that wrote a book called The Willing Executioner. And he went back and did a very comprehensive study, like a 400-page book, on, uh, on why and how the Jews were exterminated across Europe. And, what he, and his conclusion was that any time you live in a society where you have where a group of people or an outcast group or a lower class or an underclass, group, and they are constantly being despised and de- deprecated by the media, both print and electronically, and they are being abandoned by their own leadership, but they better be awfully careful because they're not in a high-risk position of being exterminated. And what they're saying, I see something very up here and around, when I'm going around the country in Mississippi and up in Michigan, you got all these right-wing groups now that are getting arming themselves in preparation of, of a major racial clash in this country, because nobody's standing up and saying, hold on a second, yes, black folk have problems, but it's not because they're black, it's because of their condition, not their color. And so somehow we got to try to get black folk prepared to deal with the reality that you must become as independent as quick as you can, build your own resource base, and it's not an issue about segregation versus integration. The issue should be aggregation, that black folk have a right, not only a right, but an obligation to come together wherever they are and begin to pool their resources in their own best interest first. Not in the interest of the broader society, but in their own best interest, based on their needs, their goals, their preferences, where they want to go. Dr. Anderson, you know, yes, I, I'd like to ask you know you a question. I know we're going to move on, and I don't want this to become you know just my conversation with you. But you know, I I believe in the 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 spiritual strength that we have as a people to be and to become whoever we choose to be, and I believe that. Um, in this state, I don't think that we are last. I think that that people may view us, but I don't think we, all of us, view ourselves as being on the bottom and without hope. And I, I just like to, to ask you, do you feel that it's your obligation to also balance your message with a message that we can do this i know you are telling us what all the negatives have been for us in the past Mm -hmm. but don't you think that at this point in time for us to overcome whatever we are planning to overcome it has to come through the belief that individually we have the capabilities of executing whatever plan is made forth and that's a more of a positive reach for us well, first of all, I didn't mean to imply that, you, that black folk are without hope and should be without hope. That's not my intent, and I hope, I'm hopeful that I didn't say that to you. 
Uh, secondly, that black folk, this is not an issue whether or not they hope, is that black folk need to come together and understand that they've got, that they've got to be in a highly competitive situation, that they're going to have to learn how to compete and be, and be independent and, uh, and, uh, and not give up hope. But to do that, they must have a plan, a strategy, and it cannot be based simply on individualism. Individual only in the sense that you are that you understand that you got a broader commitment to the to your brothers and sisters around you. Racism is a team sport, and forget some of that other stuff people teach you. It is a team sport. Racism is a team sport. You must play either as a team or you lose by default. You cannot racism will run over an individual a thousand times and nothing left over. Everybody understands that the group's going to be competing with whether it's whites, all whites understand it that God has arbitrarily assigned them to a skin color team. They practice and play with that team from Miami all the way to Seattle, Washington. All the Asians, they, they wrap around their culture and their people and their heritage, and they play as a team. Hispanics rally around their religion and their language, and they play as a team. Jews rally around their religion and their color and their skin, and they play as a team. Arabs rally around their religion and their language and play as a team. Everybody understands that's with us. Individualism is not worth a quarter if you don't play as a team. Thank you. Well, let's go to KT. I, I have to say this. I don't want to go. I don't want to go off on a tangent because now everyone's waking up and they want to talk to you, Dr. Claude Anderson. So we want to make sure we get people in. And I think this is perhaps where Dr. Anderson and I part company because I I understand that we have to understand institutional racism and the idea that racism is a team sport is a very important idea. The the idea that you've put forth that it's not just about who we like but who gets opportunity um, is very important. But why can't our team be all the people that don't agree with that? Why does it have to be strictly based on culture, ethnicity, or race? There are Latinos, there are whites, there are Asians that work for equal opportunity for all that believe that we, you know, I mean, Ban Ki-moon at the U.N. is the one who declared this the year of people of African descent. He's Korean. I just don't understand why our teams have to be separated along color lines what, 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 by how us. else would you band them together? How else would they identify that team? Consciousness. If, if we went to consciousness. If we went on a football team, as an example, and we got a football team, supposing everybody went out there butt naked, and they didn't have a skin color uniform on, how would you know what, how would you separate, how would you play as, as a team, how would you unite, how would you plan, they how would you strategize, who would you bracelets? consider to be your partner versus your opponent? Well, we'd find a way. You must, I, you must use some indicator, uh, you know, religion, I, I, language, culture. Uh, yeah, have I have an uh, indicator, I have an indicator, Dr. Anderson, it's consciousness. Oh, Lord, help me. No, my nigga, you don't really mean that. There's no way anybody can penetrate your consciousness so, to determine so what an individual is thinking. And if they did, you never you, could be you never could be totally convinced. You that can exactly tell by their actions. Huh? You can tell by their actions. Uh, that's not true always. See, okay. I've been, I've been so in what all team is Clarence Thomas on? One of the things I found out, Dominique, after after being in all levels of government, and as I said, that's everything from the lowest level with mayors, with presidents, and planning democratic conventions, being with a, being assistant secretary in the United States Department of Commerce, being with the president, being a chairman for a board of governors. It doesn't work like that. That's not reality-based. You don't have the time or the energy or the intellectual facility to penetrate everybody's subconscious to find out what their motives and motivations are. You I'm not talking. I'm talking about. I'm talking about their. I'm talking about their actions. I'm not talking about their subconscious. I'm talking uh, about the, Clarence Thomas. What team is he on? Skins or shirts? Uh, Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Well, Cl Clarence Thomas is basically a, a white man wearing a black skin. Because of his consciousness. That's right. Okay. So, let's go to KT in Inglewood. KT, you're radio free on 102.3 KJLH. KT, you're on with Dr. Claude Anderson. Good morning. 
Good morning, everyone. Speak up, sir. Good morning, everyone. There we How go. Yeah. I um, want to know Dr. Claude Anderson. When you I, come I back can't hear him. Okay, we'll tell you what he says. We can barely hear him, too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to know what particular, is there a website that I can go to to get that particular treaty or that document? And when is the next time you come to California? Uh, well, what you can do, if you, as a matter of fact, go, the easiest way you probably can find it, just go on the internet and try to look up the, uh, in, in the uh, five civilized tribes, look up the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminoles, the Cherokee Indian tribes, and, and look for the treaties of 1866, and go down to, I think, to about section four in those treaties, you'll be able to find a paragraph there explaining all the things I've talked about. We're going to have to write that down so we can post it on DominiqueDeprima.com because some people might be driving going, oh, what did you say, 1860? <laughs> <laughs> so, this time it's 1866 in your treaty, Dominique. Okay. All right. We, let's go to, we got Dr. Rosie Milligan. Oh. Not Dr. Rosie yes. Milligan of the Harvest Institute. Let's go. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good You're morning. on the air. You know, um, Brother Eric, you asked a question about, you know, what could happen for the young people. I would suggest that you, being as prominent as you are and conscious, is to make sure that you read Dr. Anderson's book, Power Numbing. Because if you don't understand those principles, nothing else that he would ever say would matter. That's why when he delivered his last speech out here for the CD and the DVD that we have, if you don't understand that anything else Dr. Anderson can say for radio, I really think he needs to just uh, kind of rest at home and stop doing a lot of talking because if we don't understand it, he's really wasting his time. And when you said we need to think positive, yes, we do. But we need to look at the reality. Are we at the bottom? How do you, how do you measure? Who's working at the hotels? Who's working in any market that you go in? Who's working? Go to the county, go to the state, go to any of those um, uh, buildings. Who's working? In the business, in the community, who's working? Let me tell you something. You know, it's sad me. Just give me one minute. Yeah, because I really want to let Dr. Anderson speak as well, Dr. Milligan, okay, while we have him. Okay, this, Dominique. I'm sad when I see our children. Uh, when we used to skip and come from school, look in the eyes of the black children. They are so sad. They are the ones who, who don't seem to have hope. These other kids, they don't look like our children. So uh, my question for Dr. Anderson, when people are abandoned, by their leaders, by their political leaders. Tell the, tell the people what happened to them. Who has fought on Capitol Hill to help us collect on the debt from the 1866 treaty? Go ahead, Dr. Anderson. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Anderson. Uh, were you able to hear what Rosie Milligan was saying? No, I couldn't. She wants to know who, which politicians are helping us collect on the 1866 debt. The only one that, that, I, that has contacted me so far and been very diligent in doing it has been uh, Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters has been very conscious and very active and tried her best to, to help in all respects. And uh, uh, the rest of them have been pretty well and off the record. They've been given money by, by the dominant Indians to, um, to stay to avoid the issue. As a matter of fact, Aberoff that went to prison, uh, the Indians gave him over $18 million to spread around, around, around the Capitol Hill. And we spent weeks up there day to day going from office to office. But the only one that's been very receptive, even though most of them are my friends, has <laughs> been Maxine Waters. We're not surprised. And, <laughs> and just so that I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure you were able to answer it, but I, I just wanted to um, m make a statement in regards to what, what Dr. Rosie was saying. Um, you know, my... I'd like to live from my understanding 
time. My, my understanding is this, is that in the trenches, in our communities, there are some incredible people, black, brown, whatever, that with whatever resources are finding a way to achieve what they believe to be happiness for them in the worst school systems in America where our black children go we still have young people going to universities becoming lawyers doctors yeah we have people working in companies but we have young people also creating companies I want us to move from a mindset that we are against each other even from the intellectual standpoint believing that one person has the solution i don't care who we are if individual people do not move from their own personal place then we won't come together as a group dr anderson you have made it your purpose to move from your standpoint it does not make another person's standpoint who might be just raising their children's purpose any less because it affects people from that spiritual place we got to get away from being divisive from each other being against each other and understand if we don't move from our individual place the collective doesn't happen so i do agree dominique with consciousness I agree that we are battling against racism, but all of this can be overcome first by freeing the mind, the mind that we all individually have to choose what we want to become. Dominique. Well, um, let's, uh, we're going to, we got to hit a break right here, but I just want to make sure that if Dr. Claude Anderson wanted to comment, uh, take us into the break. That yeah, yeah, let, let, me, let me come on two things. First, let me go back to what Eric said earlier about, he asked me about the, uh, that he didn't believe the black folk were locked at the bottom of the barrel. Let me, let me give you a few quick statistics before you go in your break. First of all, you have to understand in terms of business development, for instance, we live in a society where typically you must have own and control businesses and industries that are comparable to your percentage of the population. Black folk make up 12.5% of the population. You've got less than 1% of the businesses and, and, and industries in the country. Two, that uh, contrary to what you hear on the TV about a 16% unemployment rate, your unemployment rate is much higher. It was 35% two years ago. It was 48% in Detroit, 48% in, in Baltimore, 49% in, in Pittsburgh, and 51% in New York for black males. And the unemployment rate for black youth in the country is 88%. Secondly, you got an you got a poverty program, poverty problem in this country where black folks are leading indicators of poverty. Approximately 37% of all the black people in America uh, are beneath the poverty line. 34% of the black children are beneath the poverty line, and another 30% of the black people in America are at the borderline, which means if they were to lose their house, their home, and their car, they would go into the poverty line. And to be more specifically in closing, that six the black people in America are carrying six to eight times their fair share of everything that's negative in the society, well, where they control and less than 1% of everything in the value. So I don't see how in the world anybody can think that they are not at the bottom Dr. of the barrel, that's where they are. Dr. Anderson, do you believe that you become what you contemplate most about? Do you believe that you become your thoughts? Well, no, no, if I, no, no I, I like. I just like for you to answer that simple not question. Not necessarily. No. Well, I believe that we become what we think constantly, and if we continue to think of ourselves as being the bottom, we will remain the bottom. I believe that if we start focusing on our ability 
of greatness, believing that we can, believing that we possess a power through our own movement, we can become it. Well, let me tell you, Eric, the black folk did that for 360 years of slavery. When they were locked in chains, all those black folk dreamed about freedom, just like they laid on their backs and dreamed about being free and having equality and equal opportunity. That did not break the reality they were bound into slavery and subject to be prosecuted and slaughtered by the age, and worked to death by the age of 45. It's not realistic to think that somehow, because you can dream something and get involved and engage in well, metaphysics, that somehow you're going to solve your problem. Actually, those we're, dreams we're, are what led to our rebellion, I, I, which I was, led to our, was, the end of our enslavement. Uh, Dominique, I was just going to say, I'm like, okay, if that's the case, it's, it's if that's thing, Dr. Anderson, you, you got, Dr. You Anderson. You physical realities you must deal with. Dr. The Anderson. is very fine. The physical and I, and reality. I the basis of spirituality, but you got to measure physical the, problems. The physical reality becomes... It's the result of what you think. Not necessarily. And, uh, yes, it is. It is. It is a universal law. What I want to. I want to ask you this: uh -huh, If we were ahead. stuck in slavery, uh -huh. then then a Frederick Douglass, who was a fourth generation slave that knew nothing, believed that he could teach himself to read and affect change. A Harriet Tubman wouldn't believe that. Okay, I'm going to stay slave. I can't free. These are people who had to believe in a power within themselves to make a move. I don't argue with you. That's not my point. That's see, you, see, what you did, you did find some very specific things based on personality. That's what this is about. But, 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 but no. But see, if you go back to Harriet Tubman, for that, that's a good example. Harriet Tubman believed in freedom. She understood in this sense to be free. But Harriet Tubman had a major problem. She conducted about 200-some expositions down into, uh, down into uh, to the South to try to rescue blacks. But in most cases, she had to carry a pistol with her. You know why? Because most of the slaves she was trying to rescue didn't, didn't think they were slaves. That's right, exactly right. But she didn't stop her mission. And she yeah, freed. Yeah. She and she freed head, quite a few. She put a gun to the head and forced him to come out of slavery. And she freed quite a few. There might, just like you mentioned, Clarence Thomas. Uh huh. Okay, there's some people you might have to leave. All right, go ahead. Well, uh, we gotta take a we gotta take a break right here. Take the Republican right. Party right now. The Republican Party stays together, they stick together as a block, even though okay, all sorry, I guess out of all those 200 some uh, Republicans in the Congress, you know what? They have different consciousness, but they stay together and play as a team. That's why they vote solidly against everything that the Democrats propose here on the Hill. Okay. You know, we got to take a break. I'm, I'm hoping there's shirts, though, because I don't want to see that skin. It is 547 in the morning. We're talking with Dr. Claude Anderson and you. We'll take more of your phone calls when we get back. Total Talk Expression. It's the front page. It's Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. Find your greatness. The front page. Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. Grimes are wasting. And just doing so much hate. And free your heart and show your greatness. I like you. Had to come from up under the basement just like you to dr claude anderson again uh, doc um where where can where can the people get your your cd and dvd who is this eric yes it is yeah okay uh you got a pencil Yes. Uh, uh, they can go to power go to the powernomics dot com p o w e r n o m i c s powernomics dot com or network and order them or they can also uh, contact us at the main office is three zero one. Five six four six zero seven five, and currently they got a they got a, a, a package deal. They can get all four of the books for seventy dollars. Power Numbers, Black Labor, White Wealth, and the Dirty Little Secrets book for them for seventy dollars. So they can get all the DVDs, uh, five or six of those for eighty dollars, eighty eight dollars, or something like that. So call again three zero one five six four six zero seven five, or they can go to the 
powernomicswebsite.com. Uh, and we'll have links on DominiqueDeprima.com and KJLHradio.com. Right. Also, I understand Rosie Milligan will have your books and the DVD available at the Black Writers on Tour, which is this Saturday at the Carson Community Centers from 10 to 4. Yes, she will. Thank you, Dominique. Let's, let's, go, to, let's go to Paul and Carson. A lot of callers. We're going to try to give them short answers so we can squeeze them in before we run out of time. Paul, you're on the air. Go ahead. Um, thank you so much, Dominique. Listen, I agree with the doctor, and this is the reason why. Uh, because black people aren't being mentored into these larger positions. You'll find us as cashiers and things like that. But, you know, in the okay. business that I work in, I get a chance to do a lot of research. Well, I'm, I'm really tight on time here. I got that you agree with the doctor. Do you have a question for him? No, I just want to say I agree. Okay, call me back on uh, Radio Free Friday, and we can talk about it some more. We got Jeff from Culver City. Hi, Jeff. You're on with Dr. Claude Anderson on the front page. Yes, hey, good morning, uh, Dominique Koji and Dr. Anderson. Welcome back. I just want to ask two quick questions. What happened to the Fish Farm Project in Los Angeles, and what do you think about Kobe Bryant now being fined and basically <laughs> giving away $100,000 for offending the gay community? And I'll take uh, your answer off there. Well, sorry, but... Radio Free 102.3 KJLH, technical difficulties here. It's, you know, Mercury's in retrograde, so we, we, we have um, some issues. But you can go to powernomics.com if you want to find out more about his books. There's a package deal, as he said, right now where you can get all of the books for $70. And you can get his DVDs. Or you can call the main office, 301-564-607. Five three zero one five six four six zero seven five. Getting a lot of calls also about yesterday and uh, the wellness information as well as um, Koshi's wellness information. He's having a book signing and a free health lecture at Zara's Books and Things Saturday from 2 to 4. You can get all that information on DominiqueDeprima.com as well. All you have to do is punch in the keyword wellness. Got Dr. Anderson back. Dr. Anderson? Yes, ma'am. Yes. I'm back. <laughs> Thank you. So the fish, he wanted to know about the fish project here in L.A. Uh, that was killed off because we couldn't get the land. Uh, they continued to raise the price on the land from what they originally offered it to us for. It was initially going to sell us the land to build a fish factory for something like about 50,000 miles of the land right across the street from the racetrack over there at the gambling casino on uh, Century Boulevard. And by the time we got ready to come to closing, two things happened. The price had gone up to over half a million. And secondly, they uh, they indicated that it had gone up because I had popularized the site and it became in, within to demand, but I see the site is still undeveloped. And so that and the second thing they told me they found out that that they couldn't sell the land to me in the first place because they acquired that land from the FAA because it was right under the flight path to the airport and the, and that to to sell it, uh, they had to sell it for what they call fair market value and since I had popularized the site, it was now worth about, you know, ten or twenty times what it was when they first offered it to me. And he also asked about Kobe. Your thoughts about that? Well, I don't. I don't know very much about that. You see, I don't. I don't know too much about that. And plus, I wouldn't. That's sort of a personal thing. I wouldn't want to get into that. And uh, so, I, I, let, let me pass on let's that. Let's go with the well, no comment well, let's, option. Let's go to Lynette real quick in L.A. Hi, Lynette. You're radio free on 102.3 KJLH. Oh, good morning, Dominique. From your family, your guest. 
I wanted to ask about divestment and self-determination. I just don't hear enough about it. Uh, I heard Chavez and uh, Gaddafi and them, they was going to get their own stock market. And then all this stuff has been going on. Okay, you know? we're, we're really tight like, on time. Where, it's... where are we at on, on the blip? I know we've done okay, it before. Okay, got it, Lynette. Got it. Got all right, it. we got to go. It's 559. Um, your thoughts on divestment? Hello. Dr. Anderson, she wants to know about divestment. No, I, I couldn't even hear it uh, at this point in time. Yeah, yes. uh, again, see, my the back earlier, I would have told her to go into silver, chrome, uh, uh, platinum to, to, and stay no, with she, silver she, coins, and uh, we have a double, a triple value out of it. But now with the market jumping all around, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with the Far East and okay. everything else. I would.